sacks of strange-looking tools, pulling a cart filled with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And Dr. Graham would take us Christmas caroling all over the neighborhood, and we loved that. A group of librarians in America decided to collect hardcover books and send those books overseas, flood every theater of war with books. And so his little daughter wrote the newspaper to ask if Santa Claus was real. It's time for the apple seed, filled with stories for you and your family, all kinds of tales from all kinds of tellers. I'm Sam Payne, your host, and when I say stories, I'm not talking about the news. Since 2013, we've been bringing you tall tales and personal tales and fairy tales and historical tales and more. Again, all kinds of tales from all kinds of tellers. And today, we're happy to bring you some stories in celebration of Christmas, and we're glad you're with us. There's something magical about Christmas Day, the whole Christmas season, and boy, we've been through a lot together as a human family over the last little while, and we're trusting in the power of the season to bring out in us uh, the love and the fellowship and the goodwill that it has for so many, many years. We've got some stories for you today that we think will help. We're going to bring you a story from Antoinette Griffin, an old story about an Italian Christmas tradition that you're going to love. And we're going to bring you a story from the great musical storyteller Odds Bodkin. It's from a collection of stories called The Winter Cherries, and the story is called The Christmas Spiders. It's not in any way as creepy as it may sound from the title. We're gonna, you'll hear a story from Jay O'Callaghan, the wonderful storyteller, who will tell a story from his own young life, a story about a difficult Christmas endured by his family one year. But it's a story filled with hope and help uh, that we're sure will warm your heart. And I'll tell you a couple of stories myself. And we're going to begin with a story from Antoinette Griffin. And this is uh, an Italian story. You know, it becomes easy for us to believe that children all over the world wait for Santa Claus to bring them Christmas gifts. But in other parts of the world, they have different traditions. In Italian folklore, for example, La Befana is an old woman who delivers gifts to children throughout Italy on the eve of Epiphany, the night of January 5th. And this is the story of La Befana. Again, it's told for you by Antoinette Griffin, and it has to do with a woman who has lost her only child and finds one night three wise men at her door seeking shelter before continuing on their journey to find a very special baby. It's a meeting that changes the life of the woman and sets the stage for a tradition still observed in Italy to this day. The story of La Befana, shared with you by Antoinette Griffin, here on The Appleseed. Long ago, there lived an ordinary woman with an extraordinary destiny. Born in a small village in Italy, she was taught from an early age to sew, cook, sweep, tend to the garden, tend to the animals, tend to the family. Now, when a person is taught from childhood to perform the same tasks day after day, 
They tend to become very good at it. This girl, however, seemed especially talented. She had a sort of instinct. Somehow, she knew just the right time to seed, to water, to harvest. The vegetables and herbs in her garden seemed to be greener and more lush than any other. The fruit in her orchards and on the vines seemed more plentiful and ripe and round than any other. The animals she tended grew hardy, fat, and strong. This young girl knew just the right mix of herbs to heal wounds and cure ailments. She understood the nature of the earth, the nature of the animals, and the nature of people. Yes, the girl kept to herself as she did her work. You see, people, when they are unsure of the truth about someone or something, sometimes tend to make things up. The people began to whisper among themselves, The mysterious talent and instinct this girl had could only be magic. Word spread that she was a witch. Now some of the other boys and girls kept their distance, but some threw dirt and coal at her. Well, she brushed away the dirt and picked up the coal. She could use it for the fire at mealtime. The girl grew into a young woman, She became a wife and then a mother. Now, for this hardworking, talented young woman, the days were well-ordered and predictable. One day seemed much like the one before. Sweeping, weeding, sewing, feeding. A simple, easy rhythm of daily life was well in hand. Then, one day, everything changed. You see, death does not bother with right or wrong. It does not bother with reason or rhyme. Death does not care anything about kindness or justice. Death plays no favorites. Death came to this young mother's house, and death took with it her child. It swept more quickly and harshly than any broom. Now pain can change a person. When she could cry no more, the young mother gathered together the toys, rattles, stuffed animals she had made for her little one. She placed them into a sturdy box. Then she carefully placed the baby bonnet and booty she had sewn into the box along with the rest. Last, she folded the small, soft, light blue woolen blanket she had so masterfully knitted. She placed it on top, closed the box tightly, and slid it under the bed. No longer did she know or care why the floor had to be swept, the garden weeded, the animals fed. She simply picked up her broom and began her work. Somehow, the simple trivial tasks she had done every day since she was a child brought her comfort. Going through the motions of her work, she lost herself in the daily work of sweeping, weeding, sewing, feeding. With her broom in hand, she swept away the dust. 
she swept away her thoughts and she swept away her pain. Time carried on, her hair turned gray, her back slightly hunched. She wore a sturdy, dark work dress and apron, tied her hair behind her head, and covered it with a kerchief. Again, one day seemed like the rest. Again, one day, everything changed. There came a knock at the door. Three well-dressed men stood before her. Behind them were mules with sacks of strange-looking tools, pulling a cart filled with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The men told her that they had traveled a great distance. As they spoke, the woman could tell that these were educated, although unusual, men. They continued to tell her that with only a star to guide them, they would search for a newly-born king who would change the world. Kings, guiding stars, changing the world. These were wild ideas she had never heard before. But the one thing the old woman knew for sure, these travelers had spent too much time walking in the hot sun. She invited them in, gave them a hearty meal and a comfortable place to rest. When it was time for them to go, the three wise men invited the kind old woman to join them. Leave the comfort of the home she knew to follow a crazy dream? No. There was too much work to be done. Sweeping, weeding, sewing, feeding. They went on their way, and the old lady picked up her broom, as she always did. She swept away the dust. She swept away her thoughts. She swept away her fear. A few days later, there came a knock at the door once again. This time, it was only one young man. A shepherd, he told her. He had been traveling with his sheep. They would be a gift for the newborn king. The baby would be the king of all kings. The shepherd asked for some water and food for the sheep and perhaps a bite to eat for himself. The woman's instinct took over, and the shepherd was well cared for, and so were the sheep. The time came for him to continue his journey. The young shepherd begged the old woman to join him. This baby is the Christ child, he told her. This holy child will change the world. This baby will change your life. This baby will change your life. The echo of those words rung in the silence that followed. No. There was work to be done. Sweeping. Weeding. Sewing. Feeding. She turned her back and briskly swept. She swept away the dust. She swept away her thoughts. She swept away her desire to leave behind the pain of the past. The shepherd had gone on his way, but left those words behind. The old woman could not sweep them away anymore. She gazed up at the starry night sky and wondered. Some say that she heard the voice of an angel. Some say that she saw the bright star in the distance. Whether it was a star, an angel, or that special instinct she had always had, nobody will ever know for sure. 
but for whatever reason, the old woman took that broom. This time, she reached under the bed, swept out the box that had been hidden there for so long. She placed it into a sack and threw it over her shoulder. Then, into another sack, she placed fruits, nuts, cakes she had baked, and a smaller sack of coal for a fire. She tied that one to her broom. Off she went. The woman ran so quickly that she seemed to fly with that broom in hand. Her journey to find the shepherd, the three wise travelers, and the newborn king was long and winding. Lost and far away from home, the old woman is said to have knocked on doors of homes along the way. She would ask, Dove si trovo il bambino Cristo? Where might I find the Christ child? The old woman may have lost her way in her search for that guiding star, but destiny found her. The legend tells that the kind old woman flies from house to house on her broom, seeking the Christ child. If there is a child in the house, she leaves a small gift. It could be a cake, a candy, a piece of ripe fruit, perhaps a small toy, a handmade rattle. For children who have been naughty and unkind to other children, she leaves a piece of coal as a reminder to change their ways. For the Christ child, however, she saves the small, soft, light blue woolen blanket she had knitted for her own baby so long ago. To this day, the people of Italy celebrate her journey on the eve of the Epiphany, January 5th. The magical old lady is named with a word that means epiphany. She is called La Befana. And on that day, in the streets of Italy, you may hear a chant that sounds something like this. La Befana viendi notte con le scarpe tutte rotte con le tope alla sotana Viva! Viva la Bifana! The Bifana comes by night with broken shoes patched to the skirt. Viva! Viva la Bifana! La Bifana, a story told for you by Antoinette Griffin, an old story. And in Italy today, they say that if you see La Befana on her broomstick, she'll give you a nice thump with it. It sounds like good incentive to stay in bed. There's a lot more coming up on The Appleseed. You're going to hear stories from Jay O'Callaghan and Odds Bodkin. You'll hear from Ron Fredrickson with Yes, Virginia. There is a Santa Claus. And you'll hear an entry in the Radio Family Journal as well. A little holiday miracle that I was lucky enough to observe just the other day. I can't wait to share it with you. I'm Sam Payne. Stick around. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. 
It's such a pleasure for me to be with you on today's episode of The Appleseed, a special episode filled with stories to help you celebrate Christmas. It's such a wonderful time of the year, especially because it's at this time of the year when love and brotherly kindness and goodwill toward men seems to prevail. And we're really depending on that this year, aren't we, with all that we've been through together over the last little while. Before the break, you heard a story called La Befana, a story told for you by Antoinette Griffin, a very old story about the way that children come to expect gifts on the eve of Epiphany, not from Santa Claus, but from La Befana, a tradition that's very, very old. And it was a pleasure to bring you that story from Antoinette Griffin. There's a lot more coming up. But first, because we know that the sharing of memories can sometimes be the key that unlocks memories and stories for you that you can share with the people that you love. Here's today's entry in the Radio Family Journal. It's nothing but the description of a little holiday miracle that I felt like I got to see just the other day. Here's today's entry in the Radio Family Journal. The Radio Family Journal with Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it. On the Appleseed. I was out running errands the other day, and if you've ever run a day's worth of errands, you know how it gets, or at least this is how it gets for me. You're pretty enthused about getting things done for the first hour or so, and then you start to, well, you start to wind down. And also, if you're like me, you get to the point where you forget that in the hustle and bustle of the errands, you haven't had anything to eat in way too long. And That was me the other day. So in the middle of the afternoon, between the post office and the pharmacy and the grocery store and whatever else I was doing, I stopped into a chicken fingers place for some sustenance. And I walk in and I make my order and then I sit down and wait. And as I wait, I look around at the other folks in the restaurant. And there's a college student putting down a meal as she does homework Boy, I've been there. It brings back memories for me seeing her. And at another table, there are a couple of friends who haven't seen each other in a while. And they're talking and laughing together and catching up. And there's an older couple, a woman and her husband, sharing a meal between them. And then nearest me, there's a family, a mom and a dad and two curly-haired kids. And the kids are maybe three years old and six years old. And they've got this big meal spread out between them. And while the kids are going to town on that meal, mom is a little more reserved and dad seems altogether preoccupied. He keeps looking up at the front counter of the restaurant. And a couple of times he gets up out of his seat and walks over there, looks a little anxiously into the back regions of the kitchen and then comes back to the family. Now, the truth is, the whole family looks kind of worn out. Maybe it's been a long day of errands for them, too. But And and for sure, I'm no expert. The weariness looks like it runs deeper, like it's born of more than one tough day of errands on the town with the kids. There's kind of a down-on-their-luck look about this family. But again, I'm no expert. And my food comes... And I get preoccupied myself. I'm wolfing down some chicken and some Texas toast and some coleslaw. It's just what I needed. And I'm grateful because this is going to be the fuel that gets me through another couple of hours of errands. And then it happens, this thing that I want to tell you. 
A guy comes out of the employees-only door of the restaurant, and he's got some papers in his hand. And the dad at the next table sees him coming and is out of his chair and across the restaurant in about two steps. He meets this employee guy right in the middle of the restaurant. And the employee guy, the chicken place guy, he's clearly the manager. And I'm not one to eavesdrop, okay? But this conversation between the manager and the dad, it's by far the most prominent thing going on in the place. Alone as I am, it's impossible not to pay at least some attention. The manager speaks calmly, and he's got a mask on, so I don't get every word from him. I mostly get what the dad is saying, because he's not calm at all. He's speaking with some excitement and some volume, and it goes kind of like this. The manager says something, and the dad says, I've got all that, all of it. It's all there. And then the manager says something, and then the dad says, anytime. I can come in anytime, any hours. I can be here tomorrow morning before dawn, before you open, any hours you've got. And then the manager says something, and that goes on for a while, this exchange. But there's a moment at the end of it where the manager holds out his hand for a fist bump. And the dad bumps the manager's fist. And that's when mom, back at the table with the two little ones, gets up from the table and goes to dad and puts her arm around him. And the manager greets her and with a nod heads back through the employee's only door. It seems pretty clear that this guy, this dad, has just gotten a job at the chicken place. And now, Dad pumps both fists in the air, and he whispers a yes. And me, I've kind of got a lump in my throat. I'm not eating at all anymore. I've seen what feels like a little miracle, this guy getting a job right before my eyes. The exuberance of this guy who just got a job at the chicken place. And for one second, I think that I'm the only one who was observing it. Like I'm the only one in, let's call it the splash zone of the blessing, the miracle that has just come to that family. But just as that thought enters my head, the woman sharing a meal with her husband looks up at the guy and says, Felicitaciones, congratulations. And the dad tells her that he was sick some time ago, in an ICU even, and lost his job as a delivery driver and hasn't been able to find anything since. And, well, they all smile together and they talk for a minute. And the couple of friends that hadn't seen each other for a while, remember them? They're both looking on too. And one of them makes this kind of raise the roof gesture and says, woo, woo. And the dad turns to them and grins. And the student's book is open in front of her, but her eyes are on the dad. And there's this big smile on her face. And now the dad goes back to the table where his kids are still sitting. And he's pumping his fists again. And he's saying, guys, I did it. I'm in. And the six-year-old shouts out, you're in? You work? You have a job? And the dad takes the kids in his arms. And in a minute, they're out of the restaurant, in the parking lot, down the sidewalk, and gone. And we're all, all of us in the restaurant, left just a little bit winded from the experience. All of us better able to face the day. I had come into the restaurant sure that chicken fingers and coleslaw were the fuel that was going to get me through the rest of the stuff I needed to do on a busy afternoon. But I was wrong. This... This shared miraculous moment between me and people I don't even know, this is the fuel. 
I got to say that every blessing shone a little brighter for me as I went about the next round of errands. Things I sometimes take for granted. The notion that I could afford the greeting cards I had to pick up, or that I had gas in my car, or, or a car, or a job, or a family to love. It all shone brighter for me. I can only imagine that it affected the couple at the table, or the reunited friends, or the studying student in the same way. And what sort of terrific world would it be if we never got over it? Not at any time of the year. The Radio Family Journal of Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it, on the Appleseed. Thanks for joining me for that entry in the Radio Family Journal. You know, we always hope that the stories that we bring you here on the show uh, spark memories and thoughts for you that you can share with the people that you love as stories around the kitchen table or the living room. We've all observed from time to time moments of little blessings, moments of joy or kindness or little miraculous moments like I got to observe at the chicken place the other day. Those are worth cataloging, worth sharing. Remembering some of those moments can sometimes get us through some darker times, some harder times, knowing that there are good times, too, in the midst of some of the things that we experience that we'd rather not experience. There's a lot more coming up on today's episode of The Appleseed. Up next, you're going to hear a story that is not in any way as creepy as the title makes it sound. It's called The Christmas Spiders, and it's a story that will be shared for you by the uh, great musical storyteller Odds Bodkin. Don't miss a word. I'm Sam Payne. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's such a pleasure for me to be with you on today's episode of The Appleseed, a special episode filled with stories to help you celebrate Christmas. It's already been a pleasure to hear about La Befana, an Italian uh, winter tradition about how Italian children get gifts on the eve of Epiphany from La Befana, and an entry in the Radio Family Journal about some good fortune, a little holiday miracle that I got to observe just the other day. And up next, we've got a real treat. We've got a story from Odds Bodkin. The great musical storyteller. And in this Christmas story, a good-hearted German cobbler must sacrifice a great family treasure for the good of his loved ones. But when some unexpected onlookers discover the cobbler's plight, they might just have to do something about it. Here's Odds Bodkin with the Christmas Spiders on the Appleseed. Once long ago, in the land of Germany, there lived a cobbler with his wife and two young children. Every day, the cobbler would watch his customers walk in and out of his swinging door, carrying their pairs of shoes. His favorite time of year was Christmas, because it was at Christmas that he and his wife and children would go to their attic and pull out an old oaken box. They would lift the lid, and in it would be sitting in a soft green felt, beautiful 
Christmas tree ornaments. And the cobbler would look at his family and say, as he always did, Moses ornaments <laughs> have been in our family for hundreds of years. So children, be careful with them. But do not break a single one. They're made of glass. Carefully, they would take them down and adorn each Christmas tree with the ornaments. There were beautiful angels with silver wings, little tiny green sleighs with golden runners that would swing from the branch tips, tiny moons and a great glass star that would sit upon the top of the tree and shine forth. One week before Christmas, as the family slept soundly in their little home above the cobbler's shop, a gust of wind swept down their chimney. It blew out onto the rug a tiny glowing coal from the fire. The coal burst into flame. Soon flames were running up the walls. I smell smoke. What is that? Wake up! Wake up, wake up, my love! Smoke! Smoke! Get the children! There's a fire! There's a fire! Get the children! Down they ran, through the smoke in their little home, and out toward the door. Suddenly, the father turned. Wait! The ornaments, the ornaments! Flames licked at him as he ran back in, and with the box under his arm, dashed out to rejoin his family. And as they watched, the flames devoured their little home and all that they owned. Well, at least we are all alive, yeah. Nobody hurt. Uh, look, I have the ornaments. <laughs> yeah. Let us go. They were told by their neighbors who gave them warm clothes in a box and some food of an abandoned little house out by the snowy meadows beyond the town. The cobbler took his family, clutching his box of ornaments, and trudged through the snow, and they found it. His wife walked in and immediately looked up and noticed as she scowled that there were cobwebs all through the rafters, lots of cobwebs. She found an old broom in the corner and was about to sweep them away when the cobbler said, oh, No, no, please don't take their little homes. Whose homes? The little spiders who live there. Look up, those are the homes of little spiders. We lost everything in our home. I could not stand to take theirs. Please, let them stay. And against her better judgment, his wife put down the broom. But up in the rafters, tiny legs scurried. And little faces looked over the edges of the rafters. And the spiders heard what the people said. 
and were grateful that their homes had not been swept away. Husband, what will we do? We cannot earn a living. I know, I know. I think in order to make more shoes, I must buy leather. Yeah, and some, some supplies, some tools. But we have nothing. No, that's not so. We have these ornaments. There was a great deal. You cannot sell some ornaments. But I must. We have the children. Do not tell them. Do not tell them. Yeah. And so into the town he went. And in exchange for a handful of money, enough to buy his tools and supplies and his leather, he gave away his beautiful ornaments. Children! Children! It was Christmas Eve. Well, uh, we're going to go bring in the tree. <laughs> Put on your warm things. We'll go bring in a Christmas tree. We'll put it over there. <laughs> Come, this way. They went out and felled a little green fir tree. Stood it up in the corner by the window. Papa, where are the ornaments? Well, <laughs> we don't have the ornaments any longer, children. But, but, what do we have? <laughs> we have you and you, huh? and you. <laughs> we have one another. It's more important than ornaments. And the tree is beautiful as it is. Green, with a little bit of melting snow. See how the light is in the little drops. It's beautiful. Look at them instead. And although he tried to make his children happy, the man's heart broke as he went to bed and closed his eyes upon the bear tree. But as soon as the last pair of eyelashes closed shut in sleep, there were little scurryings in the rafters and movements. The tiny spiders looked down at the bare tree. On the end of a silver thread, one dropped down. And then another. More and more. One ran to the end of a branch and began busily to spin. And from beneath its little legs there emerged a pair of wings, and beneath the wings the body of an angel. One ran and began to spin away at a moon. 
glowing bright in the nightlight. Another began to spin at a sleigh. Another began to spin at little people dancing in a circle. And at last, all the spiders looked at one another, climbed to the top, and they began to spin a star. Until at last, there it stood, glowing forth, shimmering like spun glass. climbed back up and hid. The morning sun of Christmas Day shone in to the window and onto the tree. The cobbler's eyelids fluttered open. <gasps> Children! My wife! Look, look! Wake up, wake up, look! <laughs> look at the tree! It is a miracle! Look there! Oh! The family hopped down and ran to the tree. And the father felt the little ornaments. Oh, feel how delicate they are. Go ahead, feel them. They are so delicate. Like life, yeah. I love you all so much. Merry Christmas, children. Merry Christmas, my love. They spent the rest of Christmas Day telling stories. And the cobbler would look up and see the rafters, and a smile would spread across his face. Odds Bodkin with the Christmas Spiders, a great reminder of how the most unexpected of miracles can come from the most unexpected of sources. And the next story we have for you comes from the great storyteller Jay O'Callaghan. In this true tale from his own life, Jay recounts a difficult experience he and his family passed through during the Christmas season when he was young, when his family discovers that his baby brother is probably not going to make it very much longer due to medical complications. How will their neighbors help out? It's a great reminder that love and compassion for our fellow men is always the right choice. Here on The Christmas Candles, told for you by J. O'Callaghan on The Appleseed. On Christmas Eve, my sisters and I would run across to the Grahams. And I would turn in the middle of the street and I'd look at our house and it took my breath away would be all dark and there'd be a white candle burning in every window. Then Dr. Graham would take us Christmas caroling all over the neighborhood and we loved that. Dr. Graham, he ran the Faulkner Hospital in Jamaica Plain and he worked seven days a week till about 10 o'clock at night, but he'd get home a couple of days before Christmas Eve to rehearse us. We had those John Hancock Insurance Company booklets and Dr. Graham would bend over and conduct us with his hands and his eyes. We'd have to sing very quietly, Venite adore. 
Then he would stand up a little straighter. Venite adoremus. Then he would stand all the way up. Venite adoremus. We felt so important. Well, then came the Christmas Eve when everything was different. My mother was tired. She didn't have her bounce and energy. All that day, she was tired. She'd come home from the hospital the day before. And she'd had a baby, Christopher. I had three sisters. Well, now I had a baby brother, Christopher. He had this huge name, Christopher. I could almost see him with his diapers carrying the car home. Christopher's home. Well, Christopher didn't come home. Something was wrong with his heart, and Mother was worried, and the day got late, and Daddy was shopping with Uncle Neil, and that meant they might come home festive. The phone rang, and Mummy picked it up, and the doctor said, The baby's dying. There's nothing I can do. And he hung up. Well, Daddy came home, and he was furious when he heard that. He called the hospital and said, That's no way. To tell someone that child is dying, we'll be right down. We went to the hospital, and I said to my sister Maureen, look at that blue baby, and Maureen said, that's Christopher. A doctor came, and he said to Daddy, I think we've made a mistake on the blood tests. There's a new procedure, and what we can do is change the blood, and there's a chance we'll know in a day or two came home and I never saw Mummy so, so tired, so exhausted. Daddy took her up the big front stairs and down into her room. He was coming out of her room and it was all dark and he turned and he said to Mom, Helen, just get some sleep, it'll be all right. He shut the door and saw us standing in the hall. He said, we'll just hope for the best. There's nothing you can do, so go Christmas caroling. So we ran across the street to the Grahams and I turned and we had forgotten. The whole house was blazing with electric lights. Even Maureen forgot to put a candle in every window. Dr. Graham, he took all of us down to the bottom of the hill to the free hospital for women. We went up to a ward, and there must have been 60 old women in a ward in their beds, and we sang for them. And I was thinking, I hope Mummy's asleep. Dr. Graham took us all over the neighborhood. He always knew who was sick and hurt and sad. Took two hours, and we had finished. We were walking over the hill, and I think we saw it all at once. We looked up, and our whole house was dark. But there was a white candle burning in every window. And Maureen said, I hope Mummy's asleep. And Dr. Graham said, We're going to sing a carol for your mother. And we did something we'd never done. We didn't go to the front door. We went around to the side of the house, and we sang up towards Mother's window, the first Noel. And her window was all black except for that candle that was burning. And all of a sudden, Mother appeared in that window and she looked like an angel. We had cocoa and we all went to sleep not knowing whether Christopher would live or die. Ten years later, we had finished Christmas caroling and we were coming over the hill Dr. Graham, he laughed and said, one more carol. It was, a, it was a tradition now we all sang underneath Mother's window to finish. So we sang once again under her window. It was all dark except for the white candle. We sang the first Noel and Mother appeared again. 
And as we sang, my sister Maureen, my older sister, was crying. And I was thinking, well, she just got married three weeks ago, and she was going to Chicago for her married life. This is the last time she'd be with us. And I whispered, Chicago be fine. She shook her head. It wasn't that. And then I realized she was crying because she was standing beside Christopher. He was 10 years old. Jay O'Callaghan with Christmas Candles, a true story from his own childhood. When have people you've known taken care of you in little ways when you needed them most? We'd love to hear about your stories. Send them our way. You can write them down and send them to us at theappleseed at byu.edu. We'd love to hear from you. And the next story we have for you today is one which you might be a little bit familiar with. It's a true story about a little girl who wrote a letter to a prestigious newspaper asking a very important question. Is there really a Santa Claus? The answer that she received is one that we can all learn a little something from. It's a famous Christmas story. Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. Ron Fredrickson will tell you more. Happy to bring it to you here on The Appleseed. In 1897, a young girl's faith was shaken when her friends insisted there was no Santa Claus. Virginia O'Hanlon was the daughter of Philip O'Hanlon, a doctor working for the New York Police Department and an avid reader of the New York Sun. One of his favorite sayings was, If you see it in the sun, it is so. And so his little daughter wrote the newspaper to ask if Santa Claus was real. Eventually, her letter came to the desk of Francis P. Church, a 20-year veteran of the Sun's staff, and at the time an anonymous editorial writer whose personal motto was, Endeavor to clear your mind of can't. Listen to Virginia's hope-filled letter and Church's now famous response. Dear Editor, I am eight years old. Some of my little friends say there is no Santa Claus. Papa says, if you see it in the sun, it is so. Please tell me the truth. Is there a Santa Claus? Virginia O'Hanlon. Virginia, your little friends are wrong. They have been affected by the skepticism of a skeptical age. They do not believe except they see. They think that nothing can be which is not comprehensible to their little minds. All minds, Virginia, whether they be men's or children's, are little. In this great universe of ours, man is a mere insect, an ant in his intellect, as compared with the boundless world about him, as measured by the intelligence capable of grasping the whole of truth and knowledge? Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. He exists as certainly as love and generosity and devotion exist. And you know that they abound and give your life its highest beauty and joy. Alas, how dreary would be the world if there were no Santa Claus. It would be as dreary as if there were no Virginias. There would be no childlike faith then, no poetry, no romance to make tolerable this existence. We should have no enjoyment except in sense and sight. The external light with which childhood fills the world would be extinguished. Not believe in Santa Claus? You might as well not believe in fairies. 
You might get your papa to hire men to watch in all the chimneys on Christmas Eve to catch Santa Claus. But even if you did not see Santa Claus coming down, what would that prove? Nobody sees Santa Claus, but that is no sign that there is no Santa Claus. The most real things in the world are those that neither children nor men can see. Did you ever see fairies dancing on the lawn? Of course not, but that's no proof they're not there. Nobody can conceive or imagine all the wonders there are unseen and unseeable in the world. You tear apart a baby's rattle to see what makes the noise inside. But there is a veil covering the unseen world which not the strongest man or even the united strength of all the strongest men that ever lived could tear apart. Only faith, poetry, love, romance can push aside that curtain and view and picture the supernal beauty and glory beyond. Is it all real? Ah, Virginia, in all this world there is nothing else real and abiding. No Santa Claus? Thank God he lives forever. A thousand years from now, Virginia, nay, ten times ten thousand years from now, he will continue to make glad the heart of childhood. The editorial was met with instant acclaim and was reprinted in the Sun every year until 1949, when the paper closed. Virginia received letters her entire life about that Santa Claus letter. To each, she replied with a printed copy of the editorial. Ron Fredrickson with a famous Christmas story, Yes, Virginia, There Is a Santa Claus, and also with the story behind the story. You know, People who are beloved to us, whether they're here with us or have passed on or are distant from us in some way, can make for some potent Christmas memories. We're going to wrap up with one here, recorded live in the historic Assembly Hall in Salt Lake City, Utah. This is uh, a story of mine, a memory of Christmas and my grandfather. Happy to bring it to you on the Appleseed. Well, I told you my granddad passed on uh, last November. We got together. We were going to get together, of course, for a memorial service. And I uh, got an email from my aunt, and she was asking what I would like, if I, if I would like to sing something at the memorial service. Well, what do you sing? I mean, my granddad's the guy who, he, I mean, he is the guy who introduced Huckleberry Finn to me. He introduced me to the music of Igor Stravinsky. He introduced me to all kinds of things that I love. And I wondered what I, what I would prepare to sing at his at his funeral service, his memorial. And, and finally something occurred to me as I was cleaning off my desk. I cleaned off my desk and under a pile of stuff was the very last letter that my grandfather had ever written to me. And it was a letter of thanks. He was thanking me for a Christmas gift that I'd sent him. The Christmas gift was a book. It was a book called When Books Went to War, a wonderful book by Molly Manning about the American servicemen's editions of books that were prepared for soldiers during World War II. In those days, in the face of an enemy that was burning books wholesale, a group of librarians in America decided to collect hardcover books and send those books overseas, flood every theater of war with books. 
And they gathered millions of copies of books, sent them to soldiers. But they were difficult for soldiers to carry these hardback books. And so the publishing industry got involved, and the publishing industry and the War Department uh, sort of teamed up to create these beautiful little paperback copies of 1,200 titles. And they sent them out into every theater of war, and soldiers read them in chow lines, and they read them on bombing runs, and they read them in hospitals. Soldiers would write, yes, no kidding, yeah, yeah. Soldiers struck up correspondence with some of the authors of those books. The author of A Tree Grows in Brooklyn wrote soldiers, and they wrote to her. And it's a very beautiful story, and I thought my granddad would like it, having been not only a World War II vet, but also a reader. Every Christmas, my granddad would clean out the shelves, the bookshelves of his house, and he would go to the local library sale, and he would buy up a bunch of used books, and he would read all these books and decide which of his children or grandchildren should get each one of those books. And then once he had chosen, he would write a little note to that person, and he would stick it in the book, and he would wrap the book in the Sunday comics, and then he would send them to us for Christmas. We treasure those notes. And we forged a relationship that was characterized by sending things back and forth, beautiful pieces of music that we loved, beautiful books that we loved. And so in that last letter that my grandfather sent me, he was thanking me for that book that I had sent him. He spent the first half of the letter talking about how much he hated the book he was currently reading. <laughs> and then he went on in the letter to talk about all of the things that we'd done together, all of the family reunions that we'd had. He would make us learn songs to sing for the family reunion. You can imagine my brother and me learning and singing. It's the hard knock life from Annie. I mean, it was really a lousy way to grow up, if you want to know. <laughs> And, uh, but I just relished the reading of that letter, and I, I wound up writing a piece, uh, uh, and I, if you'll allow me, I'll just recite the words for you. What I wrote for my granddad and performed at his funeral went like this. I got the book you sent today. I hate the one I'm reading now. Some guy who must not know the way said I'd love it, and he was wrong. But your book, just like the Rock of Ages, I'll hang on and look forward to a brand new suit all made of pages. I can't wait to try it on. Well, did you get the song I sent? Oh my, that song about the high and holy power of love that makes me cry, it makes me miss your grandma so. Because a tune is good for any weather and you get me well enough to know I'll make you sing whenever we're together and I'll miss it when you go. And every lovely word you treasure, melody that you remember, flies with you when you go. At least I hope it's so. Did you see the film I said to see about the soldiers? How my mind fills up with all that memory. You can seek, but be hard-pressed to find a dearer thing than duty, a better thing than beauty, or lovelier than language to get us through the war. Well, come and see me if you can. I know I'm cranky when folks stay too long. It's even worse 
more painful though when they never come at all. And the only crown I hope to wear is made up of my children's song, the things they make and dream and dare. I see those things. I hear their call. And I got the book you sent today. Thank you. called Books for Christmas, made live in the historic Assembly Hall in Salt Lake City, Utah. Always a pleasure to have you with us, and especially for a special episode like today, filled with stories to help you celebrate Christmas. And before we go, we want to remind you that you can find new episodes of The Appleseed at uh, byuradio.org slash Appleseed, or by subscribing to The Appleseed Podcast. You can just Google us and you'll find us. I'm your host, Sam Payne, and I can't wait to be with you again on the Appleseed. And Merry Christmas. Thanks for joining us. us for an hour of stories, music, and conversation made for you and your family and brought to you by the Appleseed. The show is a production of BYU Radio. We'll see you next time.